Hello and welcome to the Modern Divorced Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Tarasio. I'm the owner of Modern Law, a family law firm in the Phoenix area. I've been a divorce attorney for more than 15 years. I've got four kiddos and I'm divorced myself. And on this podcast, we're going to cover everything related to divorce, be it legal issues, financial issues, children issues, blended family issues, counseling, mediation, and more. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hey there, it's Billy Tarasio from the Modern Divorce Podcast here with another episode, and I'm so excited to be joined by local certified divorce financial analyst, Shanna Tinjam. Shanna, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here, Billy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So did I say it correctly? Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. You did, or CDFA for short. CDFA. Okay, let's start with what is a CDFA? (laughs) That's a great question. So we are often financial world like me. I'm a financial planner by trade. Sometimes we're CPAs or other divorce specialists. And we're specially trained in the finance side of divorce from splitting assets and it, and their tax implications to coming up with settlements that work today and in the future and just all aspects of the financial side of things. Fantastic. So you, you said you are a financial planner by trade. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? That, yep, that's uh, what I do for my quote day job. I work with uh, clients that are going through divorce or after divorce as part of that practice. Okay. And when did you become a financial planner? Oh, wow. It's been almost 10 years now. It'll actually be 10 years in October that I've been fully licensed. And I started my career with another firm. And six years ago in April, I started Heritage Financial Strategies. And so that's my baby. And But I've been in the financial services industry my whole career, from banking to mortgage to real estate, and now doing what I love, which is putting it all together. Fantastic. So you were <laughs> in, you were doing finance prior to that in a different field? Yes, exactly. So I I worked for a couple of large regional banks and just, you know, working with clients that come into the bank and do those sort of things. And that's really how my career morphed is, you know, really learning more about the financial side of things and deciding 10 years ago that I wanted to get licensed and really dig in and roll my sleeves up. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's a great industry to be in. It's probably the most I mean, obviously child custody is, is of course crucially important, but next to child custody, figuring out your financial stability and security and a plan and a path moving forward often mm. feels so difficult for people going through divorce, but it is just so crucial. So what drew you to this specialty? Yeah, that's a great question. I've been through divorce myself. And luckily, when I went through it, I was young and we were broke and we didn't have kids. So it was super easy, right? You take your car and student loans, I'll take my car and student loans and we'll call it quits. But as I was practicing as a planner, I realized that that isn't often the case. And so I was seeing a lot of people, women primarily, but not always, that had come to me after they had made the deal and the papers were signed. And in such a terrible situation that I just knew there had to be a better way. And so I started learning a little bit more about it. And that's really what drew me to wanting to be able to help folks during the process so they don't make those bad mistakes they can't undo later. I could not agree with you more. I was speaking with a gentleman earlier today who entered into an agreement to pay his former wife $12,500 a month for life. He is now 67 and retired. 
and of course oh. does not have the income to pay his ex-wife $12,500. But that's just, that's just today. I mean, those examples, yeah. women and men, those examples come across my desk and your desk every single day. So <sighs> I want to talk today about who is a good candidate to be working with a CDFA. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, this sounds like a bit of a broad brush, but I think everybody should talk to one of us at, and they may not need to engage us, but they can at least understand the stuff they should be looking out for if they don't have a lot of assets or, you know, you, you have a fairly uncomplicated divorce like I had, you might not need to engage us, but there are certain things that you do need counsel on. Like if you're going to split a retirement account, pensions especially are complicated. If you're going to split other assets or give up one asset for another, those are folks that really, really need to talk to somebody like us and possibly work with us throughout the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you've got assets or if you're making some sort of a financial commitment, that's Mm. almost everybody. (laughs) Now, the nice thing about child support is it's modifiable. If your circumstances change, you can always modify it, but you cannot modify property division. And, and if you agree to make spousal maintenance non-modifiable, then you cannot modify that. So yeah. Tell me, like, if I were coming to you and let's just do a hypothetical. So I'm coming to you and I'm getting divorced and I'm representing myself. I don't want to work with an attorney. My spouse and I are mostly amicable. We've got a fairly complicated, like fairly sophisticated financial portfolio, but we're not fighting over everything. How, how would you begin your engagement? Yeah, those are some of the most challenging for us to work with, but a lot of fun. And so I usually engage with one or the other spouse. I can be an intermediary. That is not the position that I typically like to take. So normally it's the female, the the, the woman that comes to me and says, hey, I've got all this stuff. My spouse wants to split it evenly, but I don't even know what I've got. And I need your help understanding that before I can understand how to divide it. And so that's really where we start is with a lot of education. What's a retirement account? What's a 401k versus an IRA versus a traditional investment account? And is there life insurance? Does there need to be life insurance? What about the equity in the home or the vacation home? Really understanding a budget because there's everything in the divorce process revolves around that affidavit of financial information, which is truly just a budget. So we really do a lot of education before we sit down and start having those negotiations around how to split things. Okay. And do you help with the budget? Yes, absolutely. We do. As part of that process, we do have a you know, uh, a budget coach on staff that we can bring in if we need to, or maybe it's simply just going through the last couple of years of tr- transactions. You know, we look at the last couple of months and say, is this a normal situation? How much are the power bills and the, how much do we spend in food and how much are the kids activities? Those are types of things that really seem overwhelming when you're in the midst of a divorce, but it's fairly easy for us to unwind. Okay. So I'm coming to you and I'm saying, we want to get a divorce. I want to keep the house. He's going to take the retirement. They're about the same. What do you tell me? Yeah. Well, first we need to figure out if you can afford to keep the house. That's a big one. I see a lot of women make that mistake when they couldn't afford it or shouldn't have tried to afford it because they often give up a lot of assets in order to be able to keep a house that maybe they shouldn't have kept. But if we can afford to keep the house, then we look at what's worth trading off for that. You know, don't give up a pension that is a lifetime pension in order to keep the house. 
you know, don't give up your position on, you know, a parenting time or those types of things to be able to keep the house. And so we look at what we can trade off for that and what it might be worth down the road. And there are lots of tax considerations that go into this one. I want to talk about that because it's not something that very many people understand. And it's not something that all attorneys understand or properly weigh. But what you just brought up is worth addressing, and that is trading off parenting time or child custody, the schedule that you want, in exchange for a financial agreement. And this happens all the time because Arizona is essentially a 50-50 parenting time state. If both parents want equal parenting time and there's no abuse or neglect, the court is most likely going to do that. Now, when you have a couple that has been working one way for a very long time, let's say mom has been taking care of the kids for a very long time, Now you have teenagers and they're not interested to transition to equal parenting time and none of them are really used to that. That is not what they want and that's what they're going to get if they go to court. So she may end up trading, you know, the future for financial position for getting the last couple of years with her kids. Oh my gosh. And that is so short-sighted. That is really making a very long-term decision based on short-term fear and that's the worst possible negotiating position to be in. So let somebody fight for you when you don't really even want to fight for yourself. Sometimes that's just necessary. And so, you know, to give up this is so important in order to keep quote the kids in the same district or their life. Oftentimes what I see is a, a six months or a year down the road having that conversation with the, and, and it's often the female, although not always, I wish that I hadn't agreed to that. I wish that we could make a fresh start in a different house, even if it's a rental. Yeah, you're right. It's just a short-sighted decision and it's not a good decision. And the best thing you can do under that circumstance, in my opinion, is to break up the two issues, bifurcate them, treat them completely separately First decide one and then decide the other. Do not make them dependent on one another because you're really mixing apples and oranges and your time frames are not even close to the same. You know, you've got a teenager who's got, you know, two or three years left versus the rest of your life. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so scary. And you know, there are lots of ways that you can, that you can deal with the house scenario, right? If you, if your goal is that you want to keep your, you know, junior in high school in the house until they graduate, that is a short-term, very short-term decision. We can make that agreement as part of the process that the house gets sold at a certain point in the future, or, you know, we can sell it and lease it back. There's just lots of ways that we can handle that versus giving up a lot in order to get that short-term solution. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the tax consequences of the decisions that we make when we are getting a divorce. So the first rule that I'm aware of is that divorce is a non-taxable event. Can you explain what that means? It's not. It's not. And so, you know, if you're taking personal property like cars and goods in the house and, you know, those types of things, there aren't tax consequences for that. If you're splitting up cash, there's no gifting rules. You know, if you have cash and savings accounts or checking accounts, there are there are no tax consequences for that. But if you're splitting up investments, retirement accounts, equity in the home, and each one has to be considered and weighed when you're looking at who's going to get. And when we say that divorce is a non-taxable event, it means you're not going to pay taxes at the moment of the divorce, right? But each asset 
will have tax consequences that follow that piece of property, whatever it is, after your divorce. Yes, exactly. And far after in some cases. So, you know, let's take the the, the most important, I think, that a lot of people deal with first, which is the quadro splitting up of retirement accounts. You have a one-time opportunity if you're going to be taking, let's say, part of his retirement account to take a distribution prior to it being rolled over into a different account and not have to pay the 10% penalty that you would have to pay if you're under 59 and a half. That opportunity goes away when they've split it into two different accounts and let's say you take it and roll it into your current investment account. Boom, that 10% penalty applies if you're under 59 and a half, no matter what. So if you know you're going to have to take a distribution, that distribution is going to be taxable. And then there's a possibility of a penalty. Do it right from the get-go. Okay, I want to make sure I understand this. So I can't take my retirement account that I'm getting in the quadro. I can't take my portion from the quadro and move it into a different retirement account that I already have without being taxed at that moment. If you move it into a retirement account that is a like retirement account, it is not a taxable event. However, if you want to take a distribution from it and you're under the magic 59 and a half, that's when it's taxable and possibly penalized if you don't do it right. Right. Okay. And I've heard that some people take advantage of that opportunity to take that money out without the penalty in order to pay off debt. Do you advise that or not? Well, that depends. So we'll, we'll, we would look at that in the planning process and where else we could potentially pay that debt off. If you're paying 20, 30% on the debt, then yes, it probably may be that. But I definitely wouldn't do it to pay off mortgage debt that's at 2 or 3%. Okay. And let's talk about the mortgage. So there's this big, huge tax-free gains that you get from your primary residence. And that's $500,000 if you're a married couple and $250,000 in tax-free gains if you're single. Now, what happens to that limit if you're divorcing? How does the divorce affect that limit? Yeah, that's a great point. Simply, it cuts it in half. And so if you have a bunch of gains or a bunch of capital gains that you think you're going to be taking out of your primary residence and you don't plan to hold it for more than a couple of years, it would make sense to sell it while you have the $500,000 exclusion. Because as soon as you split that community in two, you each take 250 with you. And so you may end up with a big tax bill in a few years that you weren't anticipating. Okay. All right. So part of the analysis needs to be how much of a gain do we currently have in our marital home? Yes, exactly. And another piece of this could be, I've had clients that have come to me and say, well, she wants to keep the primary residence. And so he's going to keep the vacation home or the, you know, the lake house or whatever. And while that sounds great, he's kind of getting the short end of the stick there because unless he moves into it, that's not considered a primary residence. It is all taxable when the property is sold. Okay. And how much of the time do you have to live in it actually to make it a primary residence? Two of the last five years. All the time? Yep, pretty much. It has to be considered your primary residence. Okay. All right. So no snowbirding. No, although I have had people change their primary residence just for that purpose, because that can be a huge, you know, financial savings to do so. But it you do have to live there two of the last five years per IRS requirements. Okay. So how do people work with you? What does your fee structure look like? What does the engagement usually look like? Yeah, exactly. So I I engage them for a full year and I do a flat fee anywhere between $2,500 and $5,000, depending on the complexity of their situation. That covers however many hours it takes 
for us to get to that year. Most of my clients get resolved within that year. If we do go over, then we'll we'll talk about that and sign a new fee agreement. But essentially, I'm trying to save you as the attorney, Billy, billable hours on this financial stuff. So it's a huge savings for the clients. Absolutely. And are you running different scenarios and talking about different outcomes under um, different versions of splitting up property? Yep, absolutely. We run different scenarios. We look at the the options that exist. Sometimes there's maybe only one good option and sometimes maybe there's three or four good options. So we're looking at all of those. The impact of taking a greater split of the community assets versus let's say a large spousal support award, those types of things are all, all things we can run scenarios on. Okay. And what about when we have business buyouts? Usually uh, many times you'll see one spouse buy out the interest in the business of the other party by either trading the house or the home equity or retirement assets or by paying out of the business over time. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So I think a lot of it depends on, you know, how active each spouse was in the business. There's often one that that kind of is more attached to it than the other. Not always, but but that's the case sometimes. And, you know, it can be emotionally a hard thing to be financially tied to a business that you no longer really care for. So we, we take all of that into consideration and really look at those. Sometimes they, you know, I, I've had scenarios where one spouse will put the other spouse on payroll in order to kind of make it easier to, to make those spousal support payments. Doesn't always make sense, but you know, there are a, a number of ways that we can run that scenario. And if they can afford to, and we can we can cash out definitely and let them walk away from the business. So all all different kinds of scenarios we can look at. If you are bought out of your interest in the business, is that buyout taxable income? I think a lot of that depends on how it's done. So the answer would be typically it is if it's a lump sum buyout, but a lot of it depends on how the business is set up as well as what the financial um, situation is moving forward. So these are all conversations we'd bring a CPA or enrolled agent in to have with the clients as well. It's really complicated. I mean, if you are trading a couple hundred thousand dollars of your interest in the business for a couple hundred thousand dollars in home equity, then I think at that moment, it's a non-taxable event. But whatever asset you take travels with you. So if you get bought out over time, I think it's income. You're going to pay income tax on it. If you take the house and you've got this $250,000 exemption, you don't have to pay tax on it. Um, but you don't have any income coming in. So it's just a tough call. Oh, yeah. And and divorce brain is a real thing. I mean, I know you and I both deal with, with folks going through this all the time. And when you're in the thick of the emotions and in the midst of it, you're going to be asked to make a lot of decisions that cannot be undone once you're through the process. And so it really helps to have somebody that can help you think through all of these because it's hard when you're in the middle of it. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things that you and I have talked about before is that these are massive decisions with huge impacts and it's a very sophisticated financial transaction for people. But the process of divorce is so uncomfortable that people will often do anything they possibly can just to make it stop. I hear that a lot, actually. Yeah, I hear that a lot from women like that get to the point where they're like, I will give him whatever he wants so the conflict will end. Mm -hmm. And while I think that's an admirable approach, 
it can have far-reaching consequences, far even beyond your generation. Your kids and your kids' kids could be affected by the decisions that you make today. So let us have the conflict. Let us deal with the emotions with you. I often joke with the divorce clients that I work with that I don't build by the hour. So if you're going to have an emotional breakdown, do it in my office because (laughs) we can just sit there and cry. (laughs) And uh, then they can come to you all emotionally ready to handle it. Yes, that is so great. And oftentimes people think if I just settle my divorce, it will make the conflict go away or the grief process will somehow suddenly speed up and things will get easier and it's just not worth it and it's not usually the case. And so to me, this reminds me of the prisoner that's being interrogated and is extremely uncomfortable because you've been awake for 20 hours and you haven't had any food and the cops keep saying you did it. And so maybe if I just say I did it and I give them what they want, that it will all go away. And of course, the consequences the consequences are that you may end up in jail for something you didn't do. And I feel like divorce negotiations can sometimes be the same dynamic. Yeah, exactly. And oftentimes by giving in even more, that just fuels the flames of any sort of control issues that they may have on the other end. And so this is the time where you need somebody to prop you up to so that you can stand up for yourself and start rebuilding the life that you want after um, this is all over with. So let us help you with that. You are exactly right. And it's one of the reasons that the transaction is so complicated is because you've got years of dynamics of usually a husband and a wife, and those dynamics cannot easily be undone. It's hard to all of a sudden wake up one day and set boundaries that you wish you would have set 10 years ago. And really one of the best tools that you have is getting advisors and people to stand in between you and the other person. And one of the things that I love so much about you as a CDFA is you're not billing by the hour, so it's not cost prohibitive, right? Oh gosh, yeah. And that that, you know, that's a that is something that you you can't take lightly because if you think if I have to go to court and act as an expert witness, that's the only thing that's not covered in my agreement. So mm-hmm. I bill about $250 an hour for court preparation and court time in court. So, I mean, the average divorce, the average year of time that I spend working with somebody is far more than 10 hours of, of my time. And, you know, the average client that comes to me only spends $2,500 in a retainer for the, for that entire year. So if I were billing by the hour, it would cost you far more. That's a steal. That's awesome. I know. I know. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, you just never know until you get into it, how long it's going to take and, you know, running multiple scenarios, multiple negotiation conversations, you not having to worry about the clock starting to tick as soon as I pick up the phone or, um, answer an email. So I will, you know, re- I will let my clients rely on me as much as possible for that emotional support, because then you as the attorney, Billy, can spend your time doing what you're best at, which is the negotiating and dealing with the paperwork and all of that fun stuff. Absolutely. I love that. So when you do go to court to testify as an expert witness, what does that usually look like? And what are you usually testifying about? Gosh, I've done all kinds of different things, but essentially the if the conversation in court is is different than the norm, right? So if we're proposing a different type of a asset split or a settlement based on this 
client specific needs, that's maybe where my expertise will come in. So why would, why would I recommend one thing over another? Or why are we not proposing what the court standard is in this particular case? Those are the types of conversations that I get involved with in front of a judge. Fantastic. And can I ask how often does the judge agree with you? Very, very often. And, you know, that's the reason, you know, I think that I'm prepared to go to court, but I don't want to. I want us to stay out of court. But if I need to go in there and defend our position and, you know, our assertion, then I'm more than happy to do that. And I'm fully capable of it. Fantastic. I just love working with you, Shanna. Love it, love it, love it. I think you are a fierce powerhouse and an amazing advocate for women. And if people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Yeah. So heritagefinancialaz.com is our website. We have a whole section on that website, helping with your divorce. And you'll find some calculators there, some blog posts that I've written. You can also schedule a consultation in the top right corner of my website. And we could talk either on the phone virtually, or you can come into one of my offices and I am more than happy to help. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. I can't wait to have you on again. It's been a great conversation. Thanks, Billy. I appreciate it. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Modern Divorce Podcast. Remember, anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Even if you called in and we spoke to you, you are anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of Modern Law. However, we would love to speak with you or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com.